Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Modern Mystic Podcast. We are your hosts, Amelia Quint and Paige DeFerriu, and we are so excited to be back talking to you today. Yay! We took a little vacation to see each other in real life in New York. It was amazing. We made solar eclipse magic in Brooklyn with other awesome witches and magical folk. Um, got to visit other people who are great, like Jacqueline Tierney. If you don't know her work, you should check it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're here. We, uh, we are so happy to be back. Apologies for the delay on this episode three. Uh, here's a little case study of being a magical person and following your intuition. We actually recorded this episode several weeks ago. Fully, we recorded an entire hour-long episode, and I was going through our show notes and getting ready to publish it, and I had this extremely strong intuitive feeling that we needed to re-record the whole episode. And I was sitting there typing and I'm trying to ignore the feeling because I just didn't want to do it. I was like, no, this would be so inconvenient for Amelia. Wow, it's just how disrespectful. I can't possibly even think about it. But as I sat there typing away, the feeling kept getting stronger and stronger. So I reached out. I said, Amelia, what do you think? Is it okay if we re-record? And because you're so gracious, you said, of course. So here we are. Take two of episode three, Helping Spirits, Familiars, Daemons, and Allies. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Now, this is an enormous topic, and there's no way that we can possibly do it all justice in just an hour, but we're going to do our best. We're going to cover a few, just a few areas of this, this wide, delicious river of a magical subject of helping spirits and spirit allies. Um, and last time we tried to record this episode, we, we did. We, we, we jumped around a little bit talking about the different kinds of helping spirits. And, and th- as we were recording, I had that intuitive feeling that it wasn't quite right. And it was the seed of the later intuitive feeling that we needed to re-record. So pay attention, people. When you look backwards, I know sometimes hindsight can be painful, but when you look backwards, you can see the seeds of intuitive feelings that were nudging you in the right direction, and you Mm. learn to recognize Mm -hmm. them. So as we were recording the previous take, uh, I I had this feeling like there's something I want to say, and I just don't know what it is. Something's missing here. And, oh, there's a squirrel outside. Excuse me. (laughs) Second, squirrel. (laughs) <laughs> There's something I wanted to say. There's something I wanted to say. It wasn't squirrel, but it was been weighing on my mind. And as I was, after I told Amelia that I needed to re-record, I realized what it is I want to say about helping spirits. Being in right relationship with your helping spirits, with your spirit allies, with your spirits, being in right relationship with your spirits is the best feeling in the world. It is almost indescribable. It's amazing. It, it, it's mm-hmm. like being in right relationship with yourself in the way that that feels, or being in right relationship with your partner or your best friend. When it's good, it is like flying. It's like 
being the whale wizard leaping out of the ocean and you're made out of ice cream. <laughs> I don't know. It's so good. It's so good. It's the, it really is the best thing in the world to be in right relationship with your spirits. <gasps> what do you think? Oh my goodness. You agree, Amelia? I completely agree. <laughs> now all I'm thinking about is being a whale wizard leaping <laughs> out of the ocean in the form of ice cream. Like I'm thinking about what flavor I would want to be. No, but I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that that um, that deep communion and intimacy with your spirits and, and finding the ones that truly are yours, that you can call yours, is a very, very special thing and it's very precious. So I am excited to talk about this with you today. Yes, me too. The, so we, there are so many different kinds of spirit allies. We're just going to cover five, five basic types today. And you know, we, we really encourage you, as always, to further your own research. Of course, we will provide some links and interesting reading in our show notes that you can peruse at your leisure, but there's so much material out there on this. We just want to do our little introduction to our own experience because, of course, every culture in the world has some kind of a concept of spirit allies, helping spirits, familiars, daemons, you know, whatever they call it. There are so many different kinds, and to be, we have many, many examples of stories, both from ancient times and from popular culture, that show examples of being in right relationship with your spirits, but also a few that show examples of not being in right relationship with your allies. Uh, and and those, are, those are valuable to look at as well. We're going to focus today on right relationships, but... There are a few examples, like like uh, this one just popped into my head actually, in the Disney movie Aladdin. <laughs> I'm going. Oh back. yeah. The uh, you know the villain Jafar has a talking parrot that he treats very badly, but he has this ally Iago the parrot who talk he talks with the parrot. They can communicate, which I think is one of the tells if you will, that this is an actual ally of yours, a spiritual mm -hmm. ally. Mm -hmm. And he treats him so badly. And in the end, he, he gets turned on by his supposed ally because he's disrespectful to him. He smacks him around, you know. So there's uh, one example of what not to do with your ally. But mm. Don't smack your allies around, Don't people. smack them around. Don't smack your friends. Don't smack people around, guys. Come on. Don't smack your loved ones around. Just don't. But oh my gosh. So that brings us to, to type number one, which is the animal ally, AKA familiar. Now, to be in right relationship with your animal ally is a, it's just a dream come true for a little witch baby like me who grew up watching cartoons like the wondrous koala Blinky, AKA Fushigina Kuwata Burinki, as it was called in Japan, where of course it's from, <laughs> also known as Noozles. This anime ran on Nickelodeon here in the States during the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, I don't know if anybody else remembers this show. For a long time, I thought I was making it up, but I recently learned it's a real thing. I was just a little taut at the time, and my memories of the show are a little confusing, but it was about, uh, quote, the adventures of a 12-year-old girl and her koala friends, Blinky and Pinky, who are from the extra-dimensional realm of Koala Walla Land. 
According to Wikipedia, it aired after another koala-centric anime called Adventures of the Little Koala, or Koala Boy Koki, as it was called in Japan. Apparently, this Japanese koala mania was caused by the appearance of the first koalas in a Japanese zoo, ever. This is the first time ever that koalas set foot in Japan. How cool is that? Whoa! Yeah, like, no wonder their right? minds just exploded no with cuteness. I mean, of course, koalas are pretty fucking kawaii, so it's no wonder that Japan went totally nuts uh, when the Australian government sent six koalas to the zoo in Japan as a token of goodwill. So, anyway, now that you know what a nerd I am about anime and Nickelodeon in the 90s, the point is. Whether we realize it or not, many of us grew up with stories of animal friends from other dimensions or that are invisible or that are visible and physically living, but which we can talk with and communicate with in a reciprocal fashion. I'm sorry, but talking to your cat in a baby voice doesn't necessarily count. I said, I'm sorry. If your cat is not communicating back with you in some way, even if it's just through body language, that doesn't count. It can't be Not a one-way street. Likewise, if your animal friends are trying to tell you something and you don't notice, then that's also not being in right relationship. Being in right relationship with your allies and your spirits means a two-way communication street, people. Uh. <sighs> so, having these helping spirits being in right relationship with them is like the fulfillment of all these stories that we grew up with, whether they were illustrated by Arthur Rackham or Walt Disney, or they were just embodied by the voice of the grown-up who's telling us the story. Having these right relationships is awesome. It is a fulfillment of these stories. So we're going to look at a few examples from stories to illustrate these different types of helping spirits. And in addition to obscure uh, anime that aired on Nickelodeon in the 90s, we've got some stories that are a little bit more well-known today, such as everyone's favorite wizardly tale, Harry Potter. Harry Potter himself does not, I mean, we're actually not going to talk about his pet owl, Hedwig. We're not going to talk about Hedwig. We're going to talk about the phoenix, Harry Potter and the phoenix. Now, because, of course, your animal allies can also be, uh, quote-unquote, mythological animals. They do not have to be the sparrow outside, although your local, actual living animals are extremely valuable allies. We cannot diminish that at all. But Harry Potter and the Phoenix. Harry has a very interesting relationship with the Phoenix. His wand, his tool, his, his number one magical tool, has at its core a Phoenix feather. And it happens to be a feather from a real live phoenix who later turns out to become his ally. This phoenix saves his life on several occasions and eventually becomes a very apt symbol for Harry and his own journey without spoiling too much of the story, just in case you haven't. I know lots of people who have not seen or had read Harry Potter, so what? we won't go into too much detail. You know what? No disrespect. No disrespect to anyone who has not seen or read Harry Potter. We do not judge. Or if you hate Harry Potter, that's fine. We don't judge. Regardless, the phoenix is this very apt symbol for Harry and his journey, and in just the most delicious way. So this, this might be what we, it's kind of a tricky term to use the term totem animal. That term has some cultural associations 
that we maybe don't want to step on anyone's toes by using this phrase. Unfortunately, of all the phrases I can think of, it's the one that most accurately describes the relationship Harry has to the phoenix. It, is, it becomes a totem for him. It is a symbol of himself mm, and his yeah. own power. And he uses a touchstone, a physical touchstone that connects him to that animal symbol, which is the phoenix feather in his wand. So there we see clues in many of these stories as to how you can incorporate this magic into your own practice by having a physical touchstone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now to bring it back a little bit in time, maybe not so much, maybe this was a contemporary of Harry Potter when it was being published. I don't know if anybody else remembers the uh, Song of the Lioness Quartet by Tamora Pierce. Oh, yeah. I started rereading them recently, and holy shit, those books hold up. They're really fucking yeah. good. They're really good. I need good. to reread that They shit. are magical as fuck. Just slap a little bottom. They are so good. <laughs> I'm shocked. Frankly, I'm shocked at how good they have held up over time. And uh, in these books, this is a really classic case of the familiar. The main mm -hmm. character, Alana, is a girl in disguise as a boy to become a knight. And she has a cat named Faithful who can psychically communicate with her. She always, it's, I think it's described in the books that his meows always sound like talk to her. But there are a few instances of other people picking up on his communications. Uh, so they have this psychic link. But they also have a physical link. They share an unusual eye color. They have the same eyes. And the cat looks out for her. It's a physical, real, living cat, but they have this communication link. The cat looks out for her. They go on adventures together. It's very, and it's implied that the cat is sort of a gift from the divine. It was sent to her to be her familiar. And it's a beautiful relationship. So many people, this is one of the most common terms we hear thrown out. Oh, you're familiar. It's a very stereotypical image of the witch or the magician with their black cat or their owl or the raven or whatever as you're familiar and so a lot of people wonder how do you do that how do you get a familiar unfortunately the answer is there is no store for familiars that you can go to and say these are magical pets that are guaranteed to psychically talk to you it's more, <laughs> i mean wouldn't that be great but that's not i mean how if only if only so this is gonna have to be much more of an organic Thing. If it comes into your life, that is a wonderful blessing. Look out for that. If you feel like you truly have a soul connection with your animal friend, and if you feel like you can communicate with each other and that this friend is really looking out for you, then maybe you have a familiar. I have, we have a very dear friend, Esme, whose dog, Daphne, I swear to God, is her soulmate. They are Whoa. soulmates. It is the most beautiful thing. To spend time with the two of them, it's just... That maybe that's a good tell for a familiar kind of relationship. If you just love to be with someone and their animal when they're together, that might be a good sign that there's something beyond the mundane going on here between these humans. Mm. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Let's see what else have we got here. We've also got, of course, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire books and the TV show, you have the Stark family and their dire wolves. 
the Stark children, each of the Stark children has their own dire wolf that came to them very synchronicity in, in a great each of the children has their own dire wolf and even when they are not physically together the children dream about their wolves they don't dream about their wolves they dream about being their wolves in dream time they are soul flying they are embodying their direwolves. They're going into the body of their direwolf, seeing what the wolf sees, running with the wolf, being aware of the wolfish thoughts. This is a very old kind of magic. And it's very classic. When if you see an image of the witch with the animal climbing out of her mouth, you know, there's this idea that you can become an animal. You can go into the, into the living body of an animal and mm. ride them for a while. And in this particular story case, we have one particular animal and one particular human are linked very closely. And that is the only animal with which they have that relationship. I've known people who, who can jump into any animal at will. That is, that is an ability that some people have and can cultivate. But others just have the one. You just have your one familiar or living animal ally that you can see what they see. Perhaps you can do it in waking life, perhaps only in dream time, but that is one of the benefits. That is one way you can work with a familiar, is to ride them like that, see what they see. Mm -hmm. But do not undertake any of this lightly, of course. You know, Do your research, consult with a professional. You know, yeah, that's course. really, really interesting concept. We should put in the show notes the um, soul flight um, podcast that Sarah Ann Lawless did recently. It'll blow your mind. It's really, really excellent information. Um, and she definitely approaches the topic with the do gravity and levity that it <laughs> deserves. Absolutely. So if you are curious about what we just talked about, I remember, it, you know, I, I would call myself maybe an intermediate magical practitioner. I don't know. But when I, when I, listen to that my mind just like like exploded there was a lot of things in there that mm -hmm. I found to be interesting and new and so if this is really feels really new to you do do not fret listen to that podcast and let your mind be obliterated to tiny pieces yes. and put back together again yes that's a very accurate description of what happened <laughs> when I listened to that pod it was I believe it was an episode of down at the crossroads and you'll be able to yes. find it in our show notes um, it's a long episode it is worth every second I've listened to it at least twice uh, yeah I definitely listened so to it at least twice good and if you've ever been curious, if you've ever been curious about Sarah's flying ointments, she shares quite a bit of very interesting information there about her ointments. So get in on that, my peoples. Go listen. Get in on it. Now. We're going to have, well, let's see, we have at least one more example of, I mean, we could go on all day just about animal allies, but um, as one more slightly different example of an animal ally from Lord of the Rings, we have Gandalf and the Eagles. This is more like what we might call a working relationship. Gandalf did a good turn for the eagles. He helped them out once a long time ago. And so they kind of owe him a debt. They're like, wow, thanks for doing that. We owe you one, buddy. 
or more like five or six, because they did him kind of a lot of favors in the course of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So this is more like, yeah, we have a good relationship. We, you know, you help me, I help you. We are repaying the debt that we owe you. So here's another good example of being in right relationship. It's a two-way street. I think another great Lord of the Rings example for going off on a Lord of the Rings adventure is... All day, uh, every day. I know. God, I just want to be Galadriel when I grow up. Um, what? So... <laughs> hair goals, my friend. Hair goals. Hair goals. Hashtag hair goals. So another great example is the people of Rohan and their horses. Mm. I think... Um, you know, it's less magical in nature, but it's definitely a deep connection and it's definitely a working relationship. It might be a little yes. bit more totemic in nature, but, yes. you know, they get their sustenance, their livelihood, their nourishment mm. from the, you know, their protection from these horses. Mm. Um, you know, so that's something that you want to think about as well. Like it doesn't have to be an inherently magical creature, like a cat or a raven or a fox i mean it might be mm -hmm. it totally might be a lot of people who do magical stuff have magical allies mm -hmm. but it might also be something really simple like a horse or a bird or something like that mm -hmm. um I another love, i love that another thing that i wanted to mention was earlier you talked about physical touchstones that connect you to that animal and um you know, I know Paige and I have talked about this quite a lot. You should take a little peek at what type of stuffed animals you had as a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may surprise you if there is a specific animal that maybe dominates the collection or if there is an oddball in there that you just, like, totally loved. For example, all of my stuffed animals as a child were all um, rabbits all of them all bunnies so i thought that was a very interesting coincidence mm -hmm. as rabbit is one of my familiars and that brings me to my third animal spirit point is that you know we were talking about wanting to have a store to go to to get like a magical pet and you know that was always sort of a dream of mine but i know i go on and on about my yard and you're probably like, girl, shut up. We know you love to stand out on the porch and smoke and enjoy your yard. But, <laughs> like, seriously, though, if you want to connect with animal spirits, I really do urge you to take a walk around the block. If you live in the city, go walk around your neighborhood if it's safe. Um, or just stand out in your yard if you have one. Or go to a park, walk in the woods. Um, and see what sort of animals cross your path. You might be surprised what shows up. I live in a, I, I have a yard, but I live in a fairly urban area. And so I've been surprised by some of the animals that have showed up in my yard. I will just put it that way. There has been, I mean, we have gotten snakes, lizards, deer, um, rabbits, birds of prey, all of it. I mean, yes, excellent point. You would really be surprised how many animals live even in the middle of a city. I grew up in a really urban, suburban suburb of Boston, and we've seen coyotes on our street. Whoa! There are coyotes in San Francisco, badass. a lot of them. 
They know how to hide. It's very badass. So yeah, that's excellent advice, Amelia. Just go outside, see what you see. I want to really quickly, before we move on to the next type of ally, circle back to Rohan because there's something else in there that is really important. With the Rohan relationship to horses, that is very much a cultural relationship. Their entire mm -hmm. culture relies on their re right relationship with horses. That is something very important to consider your ancestral and cultural relationship to certain animals. You might come from a background where you might have a family crest that has a picture of an animal on it. Uh, whether that animal is a dragon or a crow or a serpent or whatever it might be. Uh, you might come from a family of farmers and there might be a certain farm animal livestock or, or poultry, something that is really important to your family's survival. Maybe not today, maybe today, but maybe not that long ago. And I, uh, our next topic is going to be plant allies. So to segue into that, I'll say that I have an ancestral connection to the olive tree. I have a very strong connection to the olive tree. My father's father, Socrates, as you might guess, is, uh, is Greek. And his family owned an enormous olive plantation on the island where they lived. It, they say it took half a day to walk all the way around the property. And, and when his parents emigrated to America, they purchased plots for themselves. They very carefully chose their plots here in America to be underneath a large olive tree. So our family plot in New York is beneath this beautiful olive tree. It's a very important plant for our family. We, we're also cooks. A lot of my family are cooks, so we cook with olive oil. Uh, it, it's just something to be aware of. So if, if olive ever showed up for me in a spiritual journey or in a divination or if it just kept coming up into my face, I would be very quick to pay attention to that because I know about that relationship that pre-exists mm -hmm. my ancestors. So plant allies, heck yeah. Let's hear it for our plant friends. Animals get all the glory sometimes, you know, but plants- They totally do. They do, because it's a little bit more exciting to have a squirrel on your shoulder than to have like a sprig of rosemary in your pocket maybe, but hey, our plant allies are just as effective, just as powerful. It's maybe a little bit more difficult to talk to something that doesn't have a face, sure. Or is it? Or is it? It can be great. Plant allies are so practical because they are medicine. We get medicine from plants, people. I don't know if you know this <laughs> in 2015, but yeah, plants are such delicious magic. Ooh, getting tingles. I'm not biased at all. Bringing it Ooh. in. Bringing it in. Bring it in, girl. Myself. And myself. So. Let's look at a few <laughs> examples. Let's just continue with our Lord of the Rings thread because why the fuck not? All right. King Aragorn, our beloved Strider. There's a scene in <sighs> Return of the King and maybe in the movies they snuck it into the fellowship. I vaguely remember. Uh, the plant King's Foil, which Sam famously says, ah, tis a weed. Aragorn's like, you fool, it's a great healing plant. Because in the hands of the king, king's foil, he as the rightful king has the power to heal with this herb. 
It's reputed for its link to royalty. It, it's known as a healing herb, but specifically in the hands of the king, this herb can work healing wonders. Oh, I just learned something about Lord of the Rings that I didn't know, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to oblige. Hang in there, folks. We've got a lot of Lord of the Rings references to make today. <laughs> oh, right. So there's an example uh, of a plant that has a particular relationship with one particular kind of person. Mm -hmm. With royalty. In the hands of the, of the king, this plant can work healing miracles. It might be an ordinary healing plant in anyone's hands, but in the hands of the king, ha ha ha, it's his special oh. ally. That, I guess, could be considered a sort of ancestral link if you think about it as the ancestors of, well, I guess, that is a biological lineage of kings, but right. even if you elected your kings, that could be a, a, an ancestor of spirit. All the kings that have come before you. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. It's a cultural lineage. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Oh, yeah. Now, to bring it back down to our pop culture days, we're going to bring it back down to the land before time. Yeah. One of Don Bluth's less terrifying movies, but still pretty traumatic for children everywhere. <gasps> <laughs> I mean. Oh, my God. You're right. But seriously, that scene where Littlefoot's mother dies is just heart-wrenching. Oh, God. Know. Just gut me with a spoon. Why don't you, Don Bluth? Jesus. Excuse me. Oh my god, the image of that is gonna haunt my nightmares. I do beg your pardon. So, Littlefoot. Littlefoot, the baby dinosaur, and the tree star. The tree star. His oh. mother, before his mother is tragically killed by a T-Rex, before our very eyes, Littlefoot's mother teaches him about tree stars. They are, look to me like enormous maple leaves, but hey. They are big, delicious leaves. She shows them to him, how they can collect water and dew, how they're delicious to eat, how, if you're small enough, you can wear them as a hat or a cloak, whatever you want to do. But So she teaches them about this practical, physical nourishment of the tree star, this leaf, if you, in case you couldn't tell. But after she dies and he goes on this quest to find his home in the Great Valley, the tree star becomes a touchstone of hope for him. It guides him when he's lost and wandering in the wasteland. Again, we have this ally that is a physical touchstone for something more. It's a physical touchstone for the guidance, the spiritual guidance of his mother, who is very much spiritually guiding him. You hear her voice often as, as he's on his quest. He finds another tree star. He carries the tree star she gave him with him for many miles. He carries this tree star and it keeps him going. When all else Aww. seems it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It just I, hurts. Oh gosh. I, I didn't think about this till just now, actually. But uh, this summer, my beloved grandmother passed away. And the day that she oh. passed away, and I got the phone call, I went outside, I went out to the yard, I just sort of spent some time out there on the grass, and I don't know, I couldn't tell you why I did this, but when I got up to go back inside, you know, at first I had a good little cry, felt very good. I am a huge advocate of having a good cry, by the way. It is Amen. a wonderful thing to do for yourself. Anyone who needs a cry, consider this your official permission slip to go have yourself a good, long cry. Absolutely. So after, I, after I had my good cry, 
I picked up a small little tree star. I picked up a little leaf. And it did, it looked actually a lot like the tree star in the land before time, a little five-pointed leaf, little star. Aww. I picked it up and I brought it inside and I dried it. And I have it on my ancestor altar as a touchstone for my grandmother's spirit. Even though I also have physical belongings of hers that, that are connected to her specifically, this leaf somehow, you know, here, here's something that maybe is very important to mention is that you might not always understand your relationship to your spirit allies. Mm. You, I don't understand why I did this. I could try to parse it. I could try to figure it out and dissect the moment. And that might be useful someday for me to do. But right now, it feels okay to just be with it and say, all right, I picked this leaf up. It felt important to keep it for whatever reason. I'm going to keep it. Hold on to it. It's a touchstone for that day. For, for the parenthesis at the end of her life, we had spent a couple of weeks at her, at her bedside, and somehow that leaf represented something that I don't have words for yet. But these physical touchstones are very important for us. So even if you don't understand it yet, just go with it, guys. Just go with it. You might understand it more further down the line. You might never understand it. That's fine. Just go with it. That was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Oh, thanks for listening. Aww. And, t and love, love your people. Tell your people that you love them. I'm so grateful yes. for the chance that I had the opportunity to look my grandmother right in the eyes and tell her that I loved her before she passed away. Mm -hmm. So grateful. That's so good. Cherish every moment. See, this is what the land before time does to us. It brings out. I know. Oh, it brings out all the emotions. Woo. Mm. Woo. Okay. Right. To lighten things in. up a little bit, let's talk about. <laughs> least, let's let's bring it to a little bit more of a, a humorous series of books. The uh, I guess they're called the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. The um, Dealing with Dragons is the first book in the series by Patricia Reed. Uh, Princess Sim has a plant ally. It's not a, made a huge deal of that this is my plant ally, but this is the story of a princess who volunteers to be quote-unquote captured by a dragon and become this dragon's assistant princess. And the Princess Sim, she decides, you know, she starts to learn magic and she knows a little bit of Latin so she can read these, these spell books and she finds a spell for fireproofing herself, which is very useful if you live with fire-breathing dragons. And I, I found it so interesting that in the books, the spell calls for all kinds of ingredients, but once you perform the initial spell, in order to renew the spell, you take a pinch of dried fever few and throw it in the air and recite a little couplet. And that just fascinated me. What a practical little little plant buddy. She always has a little pouch of dried feverfew on her belt so that just in case she needs to strengthen her spell, she can do that. That's freaking awesome. Right? Delicious. And it has its echoes in real Anglo-Celtic kind of magic where you have these sachets of herbs for various purposes. Yeah, absolutely. I used to have one. I lived in a very dangerous neighborhood uh, for a brief time, and so I was also experiencing some spiritual disturbances at night. So I made a protective sachet 
of protective herbs and I hung it above my bedroom door. And it really helped. Now, here's the key here. The key is the rhyming couplet in, in Princess Sim's story. You have to activate these plant allies. You can't, it's like, it's like walking up to a stranger's door, knocking on it and saying, hey, will you help me with this thing? Or maybe not even that. Maybe it's like passing a stranger on the street and expecting them to do something for you without ever talking to them at all. You've got to start the conversation. I've never thought about it that way. You're right. You can't just like walk up to a stranger, dump a bunch of stuff in their arms and expect them to know what you want them to do with it. Mm -hmm. You've got to talk. You've got to talk to them. You have to talk to your allies. Tell them what you want. Develop that relationship. And this is a very, very common instruction in all different kinds of magic. If you're working with plant materials in some kind of a spell, you have to wake up the plant somehow. You have to activate it by talking to it, by speaking some kind of prayer, either by reciting a biblical psalm, reciting some kind of rhyming couplet, just speaking from the heart. Whatever it is you do, you have to activate the latent magic in that plant and tell it specifically what it is you are asking it to do. I actually haven't heard that before, but that is incredibly useful info. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I had the great pleasure to once watch a very experienced witchy friend of mine uh, activate her own plant magic. We were, we were doing simultaneous spell work. She was doing hers, I was doing mine, and I watched her. She, she cupped the dried herbs in her hand one at a time, put her other hand over it to make a little double-sided cup, and she whispered, she spoke to it, and she went, she said later, she went into the plant herself and kind of woke it up. Kind of like going into someone's room and drawing the curtains open and waking them up out of bed and saying, good morning, here's your bacon. Let's go have a walk or whatever. <laughs> Let's go have a bath. What, I don't know, what do people do in the morning? Beats me. I'd be happy if somebody brought me bacon. Like Wouldn't if you came great? in and woke me up, like there better at least be bacon. <laughs> no wonder Frodo loved Sam so much. Mm. He's always mm-hmm. waking up with bacon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back to Lord of the Rings again. That's right. <laughs> Bringing it back. Bringing mm. it back. Plant allies. They are fantastic. We could t- Again, we could talk about plant allies all day. Amelia, do you have any recommendations for folks who might be curious about their own plant allies? You know, I don't have too many recommendations about plant allies because that is an area in which I am actually pr- pretty weak. Um, I've tried growing plants. I suck at it. I have a black thumb. It's just not my strong suit. Like, I am very much in the above realm with the astrology and Mm. such things. So, you know, I'm just now learning about uh, how to incorporate more of that into my magic. But... Well, then I have a bit of advice for you and any other black-thumbed folks out there which is you do not have to grow the plant yourself to have a, to be in right relationship with a plant ally. Thank God. You really don't. Oh, thank God. You really don't have to. I mean, it's great if you can. If that is part of what you like to do, then go fucking for it. 
That is wonderful if you can grow plants. I false, I mean, maybe I have a slightly brown thumb. There are some plants that I just seem drawn to over and over again. I can keep a peace lily alive, more or less. Uh, but if you can't grow plants yourself, for whatever reason, either you have a black thumb or your living situation, just you cannot have plants for whatever reason, you can still go hang out with them. There are parks, there are botanical gardens, there are greenhouses, there are nurseries. Just go there, hang out with some plants, see what you see. Or like we've said with animal allies, the same advice applies. Just go for a walk, keep your eyes peeled for interesting plants in your neighborhood. Depending on where you live, there might even be walks you can, guided walks you can go on that teach you about the edible plants of your area or interesting plants. Ooh. There is a book, a fantastic book about tree walks in San Francisco. It has a whole different series of walks with different trees that you can look at and say, here's a great example of the ginkgo balboa tree. Here's a beautiful example of this tree or that tree. Because, oh God, trees. I could cry. I love trees so much. I can't. It's a good thing. This is a wonderful segue to type of spirit ally number three, which is land spirits. And we did a whole episode on this. Oh. We won't take up too much of your time on this, but I gotta just, trees, man. Go freaking touch a tree today. Go touch a tree. They are our grandfathers. They are our grandmothers. They are the shit. Go talk to trees. Go hug a fucking tree today. Damn it. Trees. Shit. Preach. Preach I gotta rein it in. I get no. excited, you guys. I get Let excited about Let trees. So, because Woo. we haven't talked about Lord of the Rings in like two whole minutes. <laughs> oh, Real man. Quick, here's an excellent example of a more fantastical land spirit, Treebeard. Everyone loves Treebeard. Yes, Treebeard in the ends. He is totally a land spirit ally. He's a humanoid tree. He is the liaison between other humanoids, like the hobbits, and the actual trees who, in the world of Lord of the Rings, are not super duper friendly towards humanoids, who, to be fair, destroyed a lot of the forests and cut down trees and burned them. So, sometimes you might need a liaison between you and a certain spirit or potential spirit ally. The people of Middle-earth were not in very good relationship with the trees. Except for the elves, oh. of course, who I might even qualify as sort of a land spirit ally because they are so intricately tied to the land and they are not accessible by most other people. Mm -hmm. They're very yeah, much about that. a natural race of Middle-earth. But, Definitely the Ents. Those are land spirit allies. They're living beings, but uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen any Ents around here. I don't know if you've seen any where you live, Amelia, but... Um, Fray not. Yeah. If only. If only. If, if I only. see one, you'll be the first to know. Thank you. We'll, ke we'll keep a bulletin out and sightings in America today. <laughs> <laughs> At 11 o'clock! <laughs> Inciting <But>, today! <laughs> fantastic. Oh, I hope that, I just hope to see a tabloid heading someday. One can, one can only Oh my be. god. 
But anyway, Amelia, I know that you have a very special relationship with certain land spirit allies. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yes. I said that really weird. <laughs> We're weirdos. It's all good. My brain is a little addled today. We're I don't know very why. Addled. I don't know if y'all can tell, but I'm I am gonna pull the eclipse season card. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just it's gonna go there. We're going there. Um, anyways, so <laughs> Lynn's spirit that I love talking to, chatting with all of it are weather spirits. People forget that the weather is uh, made up of spirits unto itself. So spirits of snow and rain and sun and mm -hmm. the nasty, drizzly, awful fog that yeah. comes in the winter time and the warm summer days. All those things have spirits. Spirit of thunder and lightning. So, you know, the next time you need to make it to the grocery store before it rains balls, you may want to consider what having a right relationship with the weather spirits might do for you. Sorry, <laughs> I'm what, thinking about the phrase raining balls and just, oh, it's raining <laughs> balls today, people. Please don't let that happen. No, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. It actually did literally rain balls the other day when it hailed golf ball sized <laughs> chunks of ice oh from the God. sky. Whew. That's terrible. So, Literal balls from the sky. As far as like cultivating a relationship with the weather spirits, I'm going to say it again. Go outside. Go <laughs> the outside. theme of our day. Just fucking go outside, people, like once in a just while. Just do it. God. Just ask them what they want. Sometimes they'll ask you for weird shit. Mm hmm. Don't judge, you know, no judgments. No That's judgments. fine. If you can manage it, you know. You, it, it's okay to negotiate a little bit if, if, if the spirit is asking you for something that you absolutely just cannot deliver on or you right. don't feel comfortable delivering or you try and you just can't get it or make it happen. You can say, listen, I tried, I failed. So long, fuck me. No, just kidding. Um. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> by, so by weird shit, like I don't mean anything like like kinky or strange like I mean like I want you to bring me a half a shot of whiskey on a Tuesday at like 2 p.m. under the full moon at the whatever like it's very specific mm, like that or, or good to me it can yeah. be I, you know? I wouldn't mind a half shot of whiskey on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. shit sounds pretty good <laughs> I know they're living the fucking life dang so, anyways, weather spirits, they're really cool. Mm -hmm. I would also, something that comes to my mind is, again, the theme of our show is pay attention to your pre-existing yeah. relationships. Is there a certain kind of weather that you just want to take out back and throttle until it turns purple and dies? Think about that. Have a little thought about your relationship. <laughs> Could you improve that relationship, maybe? Could it be you, maybe, and not the weather itself? I see people, so I grew up in New England, people. It snows here. The winter is cold and icy, and the wind bites your face and you want to die. That's just a fact. Sometimes you have to open your car door with a credit card. You have to chip the ice away. It happens. I, see, I love snow. I love it. I love winter. I have a great time because guess what I do? I dress appropriately. I see people out here bitching and moaning and whining about 
up together, <gasps> and they're in sneakers and jeans. And the back of their jeans is all that awful wet triangle you get when you trudge oh. through the wetness, and it just goes right up your denim. You fools! That's why they make snow boots, you dingleberries. If you dress appropriately, <laughs> you might not have such a bad time with it. Just a thought. Just a thought. You know. So we can improve these areas of our lives instead of spending the next 25 years shaking your fist at the sky every time December rolls around. Maybe you could you could do something to improve that relationship so that your life isn't so terrible for half of the year. You know, because I don't want your life to be terrible for half of the year. I want you to have a great time. So whatever your Your relationships with weather spirits that do not feel good, maybe it's up to you to improve them. And once you start to get a good relationship going, then maybe you can work together. Once yeah. you show a little bit of respect for that weather by dressing appropriately for once in your life, then maybe the weather's like, all right, okay, well, you're making an effort. Maybe I can make an effort too. You know? to make sure that you don't accidentally step in a two foot deep icy puddle of slush that will then go over the tops of your boots, into your shoes and make you so sad. Because I've seen that happen. <laughs> Potholes in New England are no joke and you don't know how deep that puddle might be when you step into it, so. Oh my God. But if you're I'm always bitching and moaning about winter, then mm, the likelihood of that happening goes up. Because you don't, you you are not in right relationship with your winter weather spirits. So New true. England rant over. I was gonna say the same goes for everybody in the South who bitches and moans all summer that it's really hot and humid. Oh gee, I'm so sorry. But for the rest of the year, guess what? It's sunny and it's beautiful and it's warm. We get to sit outside while everybody else is freezing their asses off. So you should probably just shh, just shh and be thankful and maybe leave a couple of offerings while you're at it. So, you know, because we're all about walking our walk and talking our talk, I will confess that I do not have a good relationship with the spirits of hot weather. And maybe I could do my part to work on that a little bit. I, I confess, after five years in San Francisco, where it's perfectly cool all the time, just the way I like it, I'm back in New England, and this summer kicked my ass. I, my body did not know what was happening. It was like, ah, oh, this water is coming from all my bodies. I don't know what is, this happening? what is happening to me. And I maybe complained a little bit about it. Now that I look back, I think, well, gee, maybe I can do something next year to make that relationship a little bit better. Maybe not bitching and moaning so much about how my body doesn't understand the heat and, you know, it's just self-awareness, people. Cultivate But it. Sometimes the spirits are unrelenting That's and true. you have a an, an intense summer or winter and, and you're just like, but why? Mm -hmm. Which is when maybe you could call in some of your other spirit allies to give you a helping hand. One technique I did try this summer because I have such a good relationship with winter weather is in my regular shielding practice, rather than shielding with just the four elements of water and earth and air, I was like, let's spice this up. How do we turn this water into nice ice? Maybe I could try shielding with an ice visualization. 
and it was oh. great. It was pretty handy. It's something I would need to practice a lot. Now that summer's over, it's kind of maybe not the time. Time to encase yourself in an egg full of ice. Right, but maybe I'll practice it this winter with a little bit of fire, since I'm a fire sign, times a bajillion. I could probably practice the, the same technique, and then it would flip <laughs> in the summertime. Practice it with my ice spirits. Mm -hmm. I could spend all winter getting into good relationship with the winter weather spirits once again. And then when summer comes along, I'm all primed and ready to shield myself with a nice snow flurry. Boom. Mm -hmm. So also plan That's ahead. Tough. Yeah, foresight. It serves us well. That mm. is how you do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mm. So land spirits, they're delicious. And speaking of the land and all that lies beneath the land, the fourth type of spirit ally we'd like to talk about today are ancestral spirits. We can't have a show go by without shouting out to our ancestors. We love you ancestors. We've already mentioned them a little bit today, but specifically your ancestor allies. And twist, we're not going to talk about Lord of the Rings. We're going to bring it back to Harry Potter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but there's a, there's a scene or two, I don't remember, in Harry Potter where he interacts with the spirits of his beloved dead. His parents, who have passed beyond the veil, his godfather, who very literally passed beyond the veil, and when they appear unexpectedly, they whisper guidance to him. They help mm -hmm. him through a very tough spot. Ancestor allies can be very helpful. In, uh, in Star Wars, you have an ancestor of spirit, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's a Jedi master, coming back as a delicious blue ghost to help Luke. They're not biologically related, but because Luke is a Jedi in training, and Obi-Wan is this Jedi master who was his teacher, he's an ancestor of spirit. So he appears to Luke and guides him in moments of great need. I love that example. Can I just tell you how excited I was when I read that in our outline? I was like, yes, yes, yes. So we've got to represent our blue ghosts, people. Oh, man. Yes. And I, you you notably left out the updated Anakin Skywalker We're not going to talk about that. We, we can't. Return of the Jedi. With a little music. <laughs> I need a drink. We can edit that out later. Okay. <laughs> Bringing it in. Bring what it other in. ancestor allies are there? Let's see. Uh, bringing it once again back to Disney, we have Mulan. Her ancestors sent her an animal helping spirit. We've got two animals and we've got two helping spirits at once. Woo! Oh, 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 oh. The ancestors in their shrine. Oh my goodness. We're fine. It's all fine. Please don't call the doctor. We're all okay. <laughs> yeah, so we see the devotional act, the ancestors get some delicious incense, they convene, decide what to, how best to help their poor, poor muddled descendant. So they send her this animal helping spirit, the dragon, who has its own thing it's working on, this dragon guardian. Oh, and yes, Disney is oh, maybe not the most culturally sensitive example to use. But this one stuck in my mind as a child as something like, oh, wow, look at those ancestors go. They're getting it done. And they didn't need to leave the, you know, the comfort of their ancestral temple because we all have different ways of interacting with our ancestors. I always loved, uh, I, I just loved Japanese popular culture and 
and watching so many movies and anime wherein you see a very small scenes of somebody setting up a very simple devotional altar to the beloved dead where there is just a photograph, some fresh flowers or a single fresh flower and a glass of water that gets changed every morning. That's a beautiful devotional act. So simple in very classic Japanese style. Keeping it simple, keeping it pure, keeping it natural. Flowers, water, a photograph. These are our beautiful ways to cultivate that relationship because just like our regular relationships, we need to put in the work every day with our spirit allies, our helping spirits. We, ugh, mm, we have to cultivate these relationships. We have to feed them just like we would feed our children. We need to take care of them. We need to talk to them just like we talk to our friends and our family. We need to acknowledge that they're there. Even, yeah, if, even if sometimes it feels like you're just going through the motions, because sometimes that happens. Sometimes we just feel like we're just going through the motions. You know, it's okay. We do what we can. It matters. The ritual of it matters. It does. It really does. It really, really does. So ancestors are great. They are, as we've said before, one of those spirit allies that is actually already invested in your success even before you start cultiv consciously cultivating mm -hmm. a magical relationship with them. They already want you to succeed. So it's a great place to start if you're not sure. And it can lead to so many other things as you learn more about your ancestors. You might, because I learned, I'd always known about my grandparents, my great grandparents' plot under the olive tree, but I didn't always know all the details about their olive farm or the particulars of their lives and their relationships with their land. And you, you will learn this as you start to cultivate the relationship. Lo, it is delicious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have lots to say about ancestors. We should probably do an entire episode about them at some point. Whew. Maybe that would be good for uh, Halloween. Hey. Yeah. Hey, hey. Hey, ancestors, hey. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk for just a second about supernatural allies. This is Taking part, it from below to above. That's right. That's right. Uh, because this is sort of the, the glorious things that we often see depicted in great, beautiful, splendiferous images. Of, we imagine riding with the gods and all that stuff. And, That's right. Uh, there are so many different kinds. Again, we do not have time to cover every type of supernatural ally. But real quick, I have to bring it back once again to Tamora Pierce and Alana in the, Lion, the Song of the Lioness because Alana, in addition to having a, a familiar in the form of her living cat, she has a relationship with the great mother goddess, as is called in the books, who actually appears to her once over her campfire and they speak and the goddess gives her a token. She gives her a touchstone. She takes an ember out of the fire and turns it into some kind of crystal or pendant that she can wear on her person at all times. And it has special powers. When she touches it, she can see magic as color in the world. That's pretty handy. But um, she has, she's, she's referred to often through the books as someone who has been sort of chosen or is protected by the gods. 
Mm. Even though she herself is a rather practical person and doesn't really isn't really into the whole magic thing, she very clearly has an allyship with the Great Mother Goddess. Uh, when she is working her own magic, when she's doing really intense healing magic, she encounters the goddess again, not as an embodied form like she did at the campfire, but she hears her, she feels her presence. That immortal power is there to support her when she finds herself in need of power and strength beyond her ordinary means. Mm. And, oh gosh, we could do, we could talk for hours about relationships with deities and celestial beings as supernatural allies. I mean, holy crackers. There's so I'm much grinning to say about like that. an idiot right now. <laughs> you guys should see my face. We'll do a separate episode on that for sure. I for would sure, love to talk sure. about that. So much to say there. But obviously, there's a lot. There's tons of mythology of deities and humans having relationships in various different ways. And for better or yeah. for worse. <laughs> uh, exactly. For better or for worse. Sometimes they were not in my relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm shame, shame, shame. But anyways. <laughs> anyways. And a little bit of a more, uh, I don't know if I can call this mundane example, but a little bit of a less intense deity, the gods kind of example, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. <sighs> Peter Pan, despite his ability to fly, is in fact a human boy who, as a baby, fell out of his pram and flew away. Etc. had adventures, found, wind up in Neverland somehow, I don't remember how that happened, but he became friends with the fairies. Tinkerbell is a fairy, and it's really important with your, she's a great example of how important it is to be aware of the natures of your supernatural allies. Because unlike mm -hmm. human beings, we are told this time and time again in mythology and fairy tales and stories, human beings are rather unique in their adaptability perhaps, their ability to be so many things at one time, to have the capacity for extreme good or extreme evil or everywhere in between, we sometimes forget that our spiritual allies often have a very clearly defined particular nature. And fairies have a very particular nature. So Tinkerbell as a fairy is a very jealous little thing. She gets very, she bites Wendy. She gets very jealous of anyone else that Peter is interested in. But Peter himself is in a, a decently right relationship with her because they help each other. She loves Peter very much. She saves his life when she drinks the poisoned medicine that was meant for him. And then Peter in turn saves her life by appealing to us, the audience, to in our famous, famous scene to clap if we believe in fairies and we bring her back to life by the sheer power of our belief. It's beautiful. Oh, I love it. It's so good. So there's a great example of a supernatural ally, the fairies. And fairies could, they, they can fall under the category of land spirits if you like. But um, yeah, yeah, mm. we always got to be pay attention to our little buddies. So many different kinds. You know, I just thought of a, a supernatural ally example that is an archetype that comes up a lot, a lot, Ooh. a lot in fairy tales. Uh, the fairy godmother. Oh, shit, yeah. Pour one out for your fairy godmothers, my people. Oh, man. I'm talking about that Cinderella shit. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Glinda. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, those are the types of spirits that you, 
we're talking about under the supernatural. Yes, realm. absolutely, yes. absolutely. Guardian angels. Uh huh. You're you're. Well, I was going to say daemon, but I think that brings us to our next, our final category. I think it does. Which is a spirit ally made up of your own essence. Uh. Now, the as the daemon, as an example, in popular culture, we have the Golden Compass, the His Dark Materials books, where Lyra, Silvertongue, and her daemon, Pantalaimon, in this world, daemon is actually uh, a Greek word, which basically means spirit helper, basically. And Socrates famously wrote about his daemon, saying that the daemon for him was a voice that told him no, but didn't tell him yes. So it was a cautionary sort of a spirit ally. It would be like, no, don't do that, when he was doing something or considering undertaking a risk. The daemon would be like, no, 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 no. In, in that way, sort of like a fairy godmother or guardian angel, pulling you back from the brink of disaster, but maybe not being as necessary when it comes to making a yes decision, checking in with yourself when it comes to being like, yes, is this right for me? Yes. That comes from you, perhaps. Or for me, that often comes from the wind. Speaking of, of weather spirits, the wind often for me, I will do a lot of soul searching outside or on the porch. Mm. And when I, I, I will, I'm not talking to the wind per se, but I'm aware of the wind as a presence. And if I'm considering something and I feel that it might be a yes, the wind will rise and confirm that. And be like, yes, 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 yes. But the daemon, as Socrates talks about it, is, is more of a cautionary protector. And we do see that in the Golden Compass where Lyra is often cautioned by her daemon Pan, being like, is this really a good idea, you risky, foolish child? Like, what the fuck are you doing here? But uh, in, in these books, the daemons are a physical representation of a person's soul. It's the soul that lives outside your body. And as children, your daemon can take the form of any animal at all. But once you kind of hit puberty and start to mature and settle into yourself, your daemon chooses one form, one animal form that it remains in throughout its whole life. I think that is just beautiful. I, with our beloved teacher, Brianna Saucy, taught a class earlier this year called Beyond the Hedge about mm. walking in the other world. And we covered daemons there and I got to come face to face with my own daemon for the first time since I was a child, because to my immense shock, the daemon I was face to face with was a grown up version of an imaginary friend that I had had as a child. Whoa. I couldn't believe, I mean, of course I can believe it, but I was floored, I was floored. How cool is that? So there's, an, as, as Amelia said earlier, when it comes to looking at your stuffed animals, also think back to your imaginary friends. Those might be great indicators. Those might actually be spirit allies of your own essence that you created. Or that or the daemon, as I understand it, has been with you since you were born. It's not necessarily, I don't, I don't understand everything, of course, and it might be part of your own soul. It might be a completely separate spirit that's attached to you, more like a guardian angel. But um, look back, we, there are so many clues in our lives as to who our spirit allies are that walk beside us, whether we're aware of them or not. 
And often when you look back with hindsight, you can piece it together and say, oh my gosh, of course, of course. Now I see it. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Now oh my goodness. Mm. To have another real life example, uh, we're gonna link in our show notes to where you can read more about this, but Seb the Shaman, who runs the blog Green Stag Spirit Work that we just love and have linked to before, he talks about his own helper spirits. Uh, Seb is coming from a shamanic background, which is where we get the term helper spirit, helping spirit, and working spirit. And he talks about one particular helper spirit called Cloverhead that he created from his own essence. He made this spirit, he brought it into being, and it does not it's not an animal, it's not quite a plant, it's something totally unique. It looks like something a child would imagine up and draw. It's, the, it's like that kind of quote-unquote imaginary friend that when you are a skilled magician, you can make real. He uses the term servitor, which comes from ceremonial magic, and we will link to the blog posts where you can read more about that. But this is a, a spirit that he created from his own energy. He needs to feed it regularly. He describes how there's a plate in his kitchen with, with piles of food for all of his various helping spirits. He also has raven, who looks and sometimes acts like a raven, but isn't an actual literal physical raven. He has a leaf dragon that he created with the help of some other students from the shamanic course. And these are very much energetic spirit allies. So in total contrast to what we talked about earlier with animal helping spirits, which can sometimes be actual living physical animals, not always. I have animal helping spirits that I work with in the spirit world that are real animals, but I don't have a pet squirrel. I don't have a pet beaver, you know. Yeah. I see them in the world sometimes, or I see them in imagery, and I know that that is a synchronicitous kind of message or affirmation about that helping spirit which I have, but I work with them in the spirit world. These are spirits that are not at all uh, mm -hmm. real, in the sense that they have a physical counterpart. Cloverhead has the head that looks like a four-leaf clover, but it's got four arms and a little sort of a snaky body. Seb does beautiful illustrations, so when you click on the link to his blog post, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about here. So keep that in mind. You don't, you are not bound to the rules of the physical world when cultivating spirit allies or creating your own. This is slightly advanced magic here we're talking about in terms of creating your own spirit ally out of your own essence, but it's something to be aware of. Because often we get stuck in the cycle of, well, it has to be real. It has to be an actual thing that already exists. That's just not true. Just Very not true. true. Also not something to undertake lightly. Very much so, yeah. Please seek out teachers and guides who can help you with this kind of thing. Seb himself has an excellent shamanic course, which you can look at on his site. He has various e-courses and teaches a, an in-person, I believe in the Seattle area. So check that out. Our own teacher, Brianna Saucy, who we just love to the ends of the earth and back. We love you, Bri. We love you so much. She has so many excellent classes online. I'm currently enrolled in both of her year-long courses, Spinning Gold, which looks at fairy tales as touchstones for magic. And Amelia and I are both in the Miracle Tree sessions, which we just love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so good. So yes, please don't undertake any of this lightly. 
get proper training, have someone you can ask questions to, and of course you are all welcome to reach out to either Amelia or I, or both at any time, with any questions you might have about anything we've talked about or something completely different that you just feel called to ask about. If we don't know- Please do. Yeah, and if we don't know, because we obviously don't know everything, we are more than happy to direct you to someone who we think would be able to help you. Absolutely. We would love, 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 love to hear from you. And yes, if we don't know the answer to your question, which I mean, let's be honest, we may not, mm -hmm. uh, we can at least direct you to somebody that probably will. Yes, we have loved reading your emails so far. Keep them coming. We just Please adore do. you. We adore you so much. Now we're going a little bit over time, so very quickly, we'd want to talk on one final category of the spirit ally, which I guess kind of falls under the spirit ally of your own essence, which is an inanimate object that you have breathed to life. Mm. The, an example from popular culture, which is my personal favorite, is Helga G. Pataki from Hey Arnold, another fantastic cartoon from Nickelodeon in the 90s. She keeps her locket. She is in love with Arnold. She has a locket with a picture of him that she keeps down her shirt. She talks to it. She talks to this locket a lot. And I, I was re-watching it recently and I looked at this and thought, you know what, this is kind of how I treat my mojo hands. It really is, I keep my mojo bags down my shirt front. I don't know where Helga was keeping hers. I have a nice bra to put it in. I don't know where this nine-year-old girl was keeping her locket, but I keep it down my shirt front. Sometimes I take it out, I talk to it, I kiss it. I have a great time with my mojos. <laughs> and that's very much what Helga is doing with her locket. She treats it like a precious living thing. And because she's infused it with so much energy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you, like me, had things, physical objects when you were children that were so very much alive for you. For many of us, our toys are very much alive. They are our friends. If you, I know that plastic is not inherently at all a magical or natural substance, but I have many plastic animals from when I was a child that were so real and so alive to me as a child. There was no question in my mind, this is a living thing. I knew that it wasn't biologically alive, of course, it's not delusional, but it was so alive to me. It had its own character, its own spirit, no question. It's very possible to do. And we do this when we make mojo hands. Like we said earlier, you have to activate plant matter when you're adding it to a spell, like a mojo hand, but when you make a mojo, a mojo bag or a gree gree or whatever tradition you're working out of that makes a container spell in a bag, a cloth bag, you have to breathe life into the mojo itself. It's not enough just to activate each individual part. You, you then activate it as a whole. This is a single magically living entity that you have to feed and take care of. Mm. Mm -mm. And there's, again, we could talk about this for hours and hours. You so know, one thing I was thinking about is um, 
jewelry if there's any sort of magical jewelry that you wear it doesn't even have to be magical I my uh, wedding ring is sort of like a talisman for me mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a lie it's sort of sucked up the good vibes and positive energy and you know strong feelings of that relationship and um, I don't know if I've ever put a picture of it on Instagram that has an emerald instead of a diamond um, so it obviously would have the magical properties of emerald as well so you know any sort of jewelry that maybe you've enchanted for ritual use would fall into that category as well Mm -hmm. being a Sagittarius rising I'm always like decking myself out in as many magical scarves and necklaces and bracelets and malas that I can find so that's another great way to to do the spirit ally of your own essence really really well Mm, excellent point excellent point Amelia thank you yes Mm -hmm. adornment magic get in on it and of course, crystals on their own. Again, an inanimate object that is considered to be magically alive. Oh, that is so true. You don't necessarily have to breathe your own essence into it. Crystals are considered to already have their own thing going on. They're magically alive, but they are inanimate objects, so we should mention them. Your buddies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buddy. Fantastic. All right, we're getting over time, so we're going to let you guys go. We love you so much. Amelia, do you have any last thing you'd like to add before we go? I don't. Today was a ton of fun. This is a huge topic, and I'm sure that we'll think of more things to say, which we will happily add to the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, you can find me at themidheaven.com, the M-I-D heaven, and I'm at the midheaven on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest. So find me, Paige. Where can we find you these days? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest at tarot and T and online at www.pagezee.com. We adore you endlessly, all of you fine folk. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Mwah!